0: Always great to gather together. The church gathers. We don't gather in a building. We happen to be in a building. But the church is never just a building. In essence, the church is the people of God gathered to encourage one another, to comfort one another, to spur one another on in good works, to to look into God's word, and then to scatter to be the church. And so tonight we're gathered again like we do on Sunday nights. In an hour or so, we're going to scatter, and you get to go be the church. Tonight, you're at church and we're gathered as the church, but we get to go be the church throughout the week. And so uh, as we kind of lean into tonight, the ending up of our psalm series this summer, I hope that it's been one of great joy for you. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Psalm 145, or if you have uh, the app, you can open up, scroll down to Sermon Notes, you can find all of where we're going tonight and follow along that way. We have a phrase in our culture that we say when we are, are talking highly of someone. My hunch is you have had someone in your life that you speak well of. Maybe it was someone who has been a part of your life for your whole life. Maybe it was just a season of life, God brought someone across your path and they just blessed you and moved you and encouraged you and helped you in some way and you, you kind of use this phrase to describe them to other people. You maybe we use the same phrase to describe experiences we've had. Uh, Maybe this summer you've gotten to have like this incredible vacation, and you find yourself talking about this vacation with coworkers or with people that you know, and we use this phrase as we kind of begin to speak about it. You may not actually use the phrase, but you've heard this phrase. Maybe it was an experience or something that you have encountered, a hobby that you've taken up. Maybe it was something like a gadget that you've gotten Uh, yesterday. I'll tell you one. I did not know this existed. But friends, whew, did you know that there is a, a case for your phone that's like a Game Boy? What? Where has this been? Like, for $20, you could turn your phone into a Game Boy. Like, that's old school love for me. Anyone with me? Game Boy, you grew up on that? OK. Oh, friends. I just told you, I feel giddy about it. So you could Google that if you get bored. Um, But like this idea of, of things, we use this phrase, it's called singing the praises. We sing the praises of people that are important to us, that matter to us. We sing the praises of experiences we've had or we sing the praises of things that have blessed us in life or things that have made life easier. And so we end up talking about it with people and we use this phrase, you've heard it, right? Sing the praises of Tonight in Psalm 145, it's the only Psalm that actually has the title A Psalm of Praise. It's fascinating. Now, the Psalms have a lot to do about praise from beginning to end, really, the end. Do you know that the word praise is used in the last six Psalms 46 times? From Psalm 145 to the end, 46 times this word praise is used. And the psalmist speaks about it. This Psalm 145 is an acrostic psalm. Uh, We don't see it in the English language, but in the Hebrew language originally written in, it actually is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. You could say that Psalm 145 is really the ABCs of praise if you wanted to. So all the letters are used except one. And I'm not sure if they just couldn't find a word that rhymed with that, I don't know. But psalm of praise is an important thing. Psalms have been an important gift to us, hopefully this summer as you've been engaging with that, and not just for the summer. Our hope and our prayer has been that this book would unlock some understanding of who God is and what he's like and how we can relate with him that would be part of your journey the rest of your life. There's something about the psalms. It's the most quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And so everywhere you go, you're gonna see glimpses of the Psalms. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says this, one reason the book of Psalms so powerfully affects us is that it's a soul book. It's the premier soul book on earth. It touches us at the deepest levels of of our lives, far beyond our conscious thoughts and endeavors. It expresses and helps us to express the most profound parts of our lives. And maybe you've experienced that reading through the Psalms. There's probably parts of it that you're like, man, this this writer is really low. (laughs) Like they're in despair and I bet you can relate to moments like that in your own life. There's moments where this writer and the psalmist is writing and recording just this incredible praise and incredible emotion of the moment, and my hunch is you've experienced moments of like that in the hills and the valleys of life. Everywhere you go and every season you're in, the psalmist speaks to that. So the psalm of praise begins in Psalm 145 with what seems simple at first, but I wanna unpack this a little bit for us tonight and kinda lean into a couple things. And then I want us to kinda experience this at the end, leading into communion in a couple worship songs, and maybe create some space for us to practice what the psalm is saying, to, to be a person who brings praise. And you may not know quite exactly what all that means, and you may be like back to church for the first time, and I'm, I'm so thrilled that you're here, and, and you're gonna hear this, and I know it may sound kinda Christianese, and it may sound like this is like insider talk, but you know how to praise you do it you sing the praises of people experiences of things so this is not like a new language i'm just trying to connect the dots for you that this is a language that you can use with god and that he longs to receive from you so the psalmist writes this first first uh, one and two i will exalt you my god the king I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. It sounds simple at first until you look a little bit closer and realize there's three different verbs that he's using here to to kind of magnify this praise that David is writing about who God is and what he's like and why he deserves praise. He says, I will exalt you. I will lift you up. I'm gonna put the spotlight on you, God. There's so many things that want to put the spotlight on me. There's so many times I want to put the spotlight on me. And so much of our culture is really about trying to put the spotlight on me. But God, you're the one who really deserves the spotlight. I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to praise you. means I'm going to bless you from my heart, from the innermost parts of who I am. I want to kind of let that begin to come out and express my delight in you, my thankfulness to you, my gratitude to you. I want to praise God, I want to extol him. It means to admire or to eulogize someone, to speak about them, to sing the praises of them, of who they are and what they've done and everything that they're about, to kind of focus our hearts to put this. There is a call to praise God in this psalm. There's instruction about praising God in this psalm, and there's practical examples of praise in this psalm. Now, for some of us, You may be sitting here, and you're like, this sounds touchy-feely. I'm not that kind of person. That's okay. And you may feel like, okay, this praise stuff, it just seems like it's more emotional. It seems like it's just kind of wired for people that are kind of pre-wired that way. Like, I'm an engineer, Jack. Like, I I think, okay? That's what I do, right? And, like, that's how I make my living. That's how I navigate life. That's how I work. And I want to help you understand that the art of praise is a learned art. It's not just pre-wired or pre-gifted for people who are kind of shaped in a way that says, this is how I work, this is how I function, this is how I go about life. Some of us might have a predisposition to music more than others. Some of us might have a predisposition or inclined toward poetry or verbal expression or communication more than others. But praising God is not about getting into all those things. It's really about aligning our hearts to exalt him, to bless him from your heart, and to admire him more. And we can all get better at that. That's something that this art of praise is a learned art. We can all learn how to praise God better and deeper and more and praise and exalting God can become more of a natural rhythm of how you live your life. Part of it's priority. Part of it's getting on the radar. Part of it's just experimenting and learning how to do this. So learning to give God praise often begins with maybe listening to other people who do it. The psalmist goes on here, verse four, he says this. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic and glorious splendor, your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness, God. David's giving examples. He's demonstrating how to bring praise. And oftentimes, praise is best caught than it is taught. The same way that you have caught things in life. How many of you know how to read? Okay. How many of you know how to write? How many of you know how to eat? How to use a fork? How to use a straw? Those were all things that you caught, They were taught to you. And so praise is the same way. It's learning how to do this. And so for those of us who might be in the older generation, (coughs) uh-uh, You know what we're called to do? Model this. It's why we worship every Sunday. Because the next generation, which is the church of today, needs to be blessed with worship. It needs to be invested into with worship. And we need to learn and grow with them as well. But we need to model that this is how you praise God. This is how you put the spotlight off of yourself and onto someone who actually deserves it. This is how you begin to move your attention off of only about you and always about you onto someone who actually deserves it. That's what moving praise, that's what bringing praise is meant to do, that one generation passes this on to the next. And it helps that generation learn to know what does it mean to praise God? What does it mean to bless him? How do we learn this? How do we practice this? The art of praise is a learned art. And we can all learn it. We can all get better and deeper in it of expressing that to God. I think what we see in the psalm also is that the art of praise has a theological foundation, always. Always. And when you read through Psalm 145, you begin to see that praise is grounded somewhere. It's not just this nebulous thing that's out there. It's grounded in some theological foundation of who God is, his very nature, what he's like. That's why the psalmist all over, I hope, that you begin to experience and learn and see God for who he really is and what he's really like and how we can relate to him and how he longs to relate with us. Praise is always grounded in the nature of God, of who he is. It shapes the, how we praise him and what we praise him for. It begins to direct that. This psalmist begins to, to, to say, David kind of lays out three specific things that we're gonna look at, but there's so much more that we can praise God for, but he kind of highlights this idea of God's greatness, God's grace, and God's goodness. That's what we praise God for. His greatness, his grace, and his goodness, that God is great. Verse three says this, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Meaning, ain't nobody gonna get their arms around God completely. Ain't nobody gonna fully understand all of who he is. He is bigger than your box. He's bigger than mine. He just keeps getting bigger. One of the beauties of getting to travel some on different mission trips, I don't know, for those of you who maybe been on trips or even traveled the world, every time I come back, God just gets bigger. Every time I travel, it's like, God, I'm so sorry for limiting you to our country. Like, you're so much bigger than what I give you credit for. You're so much broader and deeper and greater than I can ever get my mind around. One generation will tell of another generation. How many of you have ever traveled to a a place of like great beauty? Maybe it's Zion National Park or some uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, something like that. You've been to a place that has kind of taken your breath away and and we can see God's greatness in those moments or if you've studied the universe and begin to understand, wow, we are tiny. God, you are Big. And you begin to to lean into this and you begin to understand God's greatness, but there's even God's greatness in the moments that we miss. Listen. You probably didn't hear it. Listen to your breath right now. I bet the last time you thought about your breathing was like the last time you ran and you were out of breath, right? That's me, amen. (laughs) Amen. Do you know the average person takes about 23,000 breaths a day? 23,000. Your respiratory system is so intricate and complicated of how it takes in, fuels your body, and gives out. I don't even have time to go into how complex it is. But think about it, 23,000 times, and you probably never even think about it. God's greatness in his grandness. Yes. God's greatness is in the details too. And how intricate and awesome he is. That there is no one greater. There is no greater authority than God. No one gets the last word above God. It's kind of like if how many of you have siblings? You ever been in an argument with your siblings growing up or so and like the oldest sibling is like trying to be like, "Hey, I'm in charge. I'm the oldest. I'm here." Mom and dad said, right? And as a younger sibling, you're kind of like, whatever, right? and But you kind of have to listen a little bit until mom or dad actually walk in the room, right? And then all the arguing, all the bickering stops in that moment. Why? Because someone with real authority walked in. That's the ultimate authority of that house, right? Do you know there's never a room where God is, where someone else walks in with greater authority than him, not gonna happen. There's a lot of people who occupy rooms who think they have greater authority, who think they know better, but God is the ultimate authority. He walks in the room and everyone else is like, because he's it, his greatness is so beyond what we can get our minds around. In David's last act before his death, he's turning over the kingdom to his son Solomon as the new king, and he takes great effort in supplying what's gonna be built as the temple of the Lord personally. He supplies so much of what's going to go into this, just incredible wealth, if you want to study it. It's, it'll blow your mind um, how much money was spent. He encourages the people uh, of God to raise up money to supply what's going to go into this, this temple, what Solomon's going to build. In 1 Chronicles 29.10, here's what you see. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying this, praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power, the glory and the majesty, the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. This is the king of a great nation saying, I'm a king of one nation, but God, you're the king of everything. You're big, I'm little. You're great, I'm okay. And it's keeping that perspective of saying, God, your greatness is far above and over all people, all authorities, all nations, all things. David is declaring this theological truth. God, you are great. We use the word awesome to describe a lot of things, and that's okay. But there's only one who's truly awesome. And it ain't you. And it ain't me. There's one who's great. So we praise him for his greatness. We praise him for his grace. Verse eight says this, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. God's grace and compassion is often linked in the Old Testament. Both point to his disposition toward us. He is graciously inclined toward you, toward me. His favor runs in our direction, leans in our way. He's for us, even when we don't deserve it. That's good news, that's grace. Because God is disposed to show us grace, he is slow to anger because he feels deep compassion for us, he deals with us in loving kindness. The word loving kindness, when you see that in the Old Testament, it's, it's the Old Testament version of grace in the New Testament. It's the close. it's called Hesed love, this covenantal kind of love. It's not a commitment, it's not a contract, it's this covenant that God made with his people and makes with you and me through faith in Jesus, that he's for us, not against us. That he is with us both point to this idea of what the psalmist is trying to say is that he's rich in love. His grace is sufficient and it never runs dry. Aren't you glad? Man, I am. His grace is good enough for us. He's rich in love, this committed kind of love that's not based on a contract where you uphold your end and I'll uphold mine. It's this covenant kind of love that says even if you walk away, I won't. That's love. That's love. That's the grace that God gives us. So we praise God for his greatness and for his grace, and we praise him for his goodness. The psalmist goes on, David writes, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Verse 13, the Lord is trustworthy in all of his promises. I mean, think about that. He is trustworthy in all of his promises. Just think back through your own life. How many of you would say, I'm a trustworthy person? You would label yourself that. But think of the reality of what you're saying. Have you ever missed an opportunity to be trustworthy? Have you ever fallen short of that? I think we'd all say, man, I'm not like 100%, maybe 98 God's like 101%. He is trustworthy in all of his promises. He's faithful in all of he does. He never slips. Man, that's not me. That's probably not you either. But God, in his goodness, he's true to his nature. He is not evil. There is no impurity or malice within him at all. That's why we can call him our good, good father. God, it's not just a greater expression of your earthly father. For some of you, that's a great thing because your earthly father wasn't a great example. For some of you who even have good examples, listen, he's better than that. That's amazing. He's good. Like he's for your good. In every situation, even when it's challenging, he's for your good and he may even challenge you. Why? Because it's for your good. It's to help you grow. So how does this begin to play out? How do we begin to see God's goodness? Well, David writes about it. Psalm 14, he says, he sustains the weary. The Lord upholds all those who are lifted or have fallen down or under burden, bowed down underneath it. He feeds the hungry. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. Verse 16, he satisfies our longings. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing, God. You are good. You begin to see verses 17 through 20, he begins to to put out and say, here's some conclusions about God's goodness and what that means, that he is a God who is near. He is not a God who is far away. Aren't you glad that God is near and not distracted? He is a God who listens he's not one who turns a deaf ear David writes he's a God who watches over you he's not a God who closes his eyes to the things going on around you he has his eyes wide open watching over you why? because he's good all the time all the time he's good That seems like a phrase that's easy to say, but God is great and he is full of grace and he is good. And when we can expect God to live that out in his greatness and in his grace and in his goodness, I can expect that he will be faithful to his promises. I can expect that God will hold me up when I stumble. I can expect that he will give me what I need as I need it. Doesn't mean I'm gonna get everything I want. Because even your good heavenly, or your good earthly father doesn't do that. He's not gonna give me anything uh, that hurts. I can expect him to be open handed with me, sensitive to my desires and to my needs and my longings. Active, why? Because he's near, because he listens, because he watches over. He's good. To you, he is for you. God's goodness is not just because he's benevolent. God is good because he is for us and he is good because he's always with us as he promised. I'll never be without him and neither will you. As one who has turned their life and trusted their life to Christ, you are with God, a forever with God kind of life. Sometimes that's scary because we're off doing stuff we shouldn't be doing. But sometimes that's a blessing because he says, Whoa, 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 that's not the best. Let's come back this way. Let's let's aim toward the best. I've got something better for you. So we praise God for who He is and all that He does and all that He is doing. That's what David's trying to highlight in this Psalm. Let praise become normal and natural as a part of your life. That's gonna be different, expressed differently maybe based on your temperament and how you're wired and, and what makes you, you. But every one of us can learn the art of praise. And the art of praise is always grounded in theological truth of who God is and what he's about. And he is great and he is good. And we can bring him praise. See, when God lives that way to us, I think the longing of God's heart is that we would just express praise back to him. Wouldn't that be natural for you? That as one who is maybe caretaker over your children or or caring over people that you watch over and you pour so much into them, isn't just your heart natural reaction to to long to be thanked, to long to be praised in some way in the sense of like just grateful and the gratitude that comes, and, and that's what David's writing is. God, I will praise you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make it natural and normal for me. And so the very last verse of the psalm, here's what he says he gets personal, he owns it. My mouth, if you have a Bible, circle that. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever, meaning let everybody praise. But as for me, my mouth, I will do it. I will make praise natural and normal as a part of my life. And so the great question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? Does that mean you live in church? Does that mean you have worship music blasting all the time? How do you do this? I think part of the answer is you figure it out. Individually because part of this will be kind of wired in the way that you're wired. For some of you music is so much a part of your life and you love it. I did a study retreat uh, last week. I went 4 days with no sound. It was awesome. For some of you that's like ah, that's hell. I can uh, <laughs> For me it was life-giving. No questions. Just me and God, quiet, reading, thinking, praying. Man, it filled my cup. So part of it, you gotta figure it out on your own. What fills your cup? How do you bring praise? For some of you who are music-oriented, maybe this is just saying, hey, I'm gonna take five to 10 minutes a day, and I'm I'm gonna put on some worship songs that that move me, and God, I wanna practice what David is saying. I wanna just praise you. For some of you, you're analytical and you're thinking, and so uh, maybe can I just suggest take Psalm 145, since it's the only psalm that says it's a psalm of praise. And if you're analytical and you're a thinker, just walk through Psalm 145. That's what I did, and say, God, I'm just going to tell you how great you are. This says you're great. You're great. I'm gonna walk through what that means and unpack how that impacts my life, how I've seen that, and I'm gonna tell you how great you are and how grace-filled you are and how good you are to me. I'm blown away. And so you have a moment with you and God. For some of you, that's journaling. For some of you, that's prayer. For some of you, that's sitting quiet in a noisy world that has lots of voices but you truly long to hear the one voice you need to hear. And so it's different. Now, a practical thing, I have a uh, remote control that sits on my shelves behind my desk. I've ripped off every button except the pause button. This was about a decade ago. Uh, How many of you grew up in the age where You didn't have a remote control, you were the remote control, right? So for those of you who are younger, we used to not have these little things. It was me. And my dad would say, hey, change the channel. Now, the good thing is we only had like seven channels. So we didn't have 400, you know, to just be up there all the time. But that was the remote. Here's the crazy thing. How many of you watch movies now and you hit pause because you want to go get a snack or you need to go to the restroom? Aren't you a little annoyed at the movie theater sometimes? You're like, I gotta I just want to hit pause. Because that's what I do on Netflix, right? I just hit pause. I can pause it here. Do you realize, as I was growing up, you can never pause anything. Ever. Like, it wasn't possible until so you had these giant VCRs with these, like, VHS. I don't know if you've even heard of that. Here's the crazy part. For me, about a decade ago, it was learning a rhythm of life. I lived fast forward all the time. That was the speed of life. And for some of you, I'm describing the speed of your life. And God got a hold of my heart and said, you know what, I need you to pause more. I I don't know what that may look like for you, but maybe that's 20 minutes at the start of your day. Maybe that's 10 minutes a couple different times throughout the day. Peter Scazzaro wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He talks about going into what he calls his office, this daily office, this rhythm of five to 15 minutes three times a day, where he just pauses and says, God, okay, it's you and me. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna think, I'm gonna sit. I don't know if that's your rhythm, but maybe it's simply kind of learning how to hit pause in life, the start of the day, the end of the day, throughout the day, and you're learning to pause to praise. That's the rhythm you wanna build in your life. I wanna pause to praise. I can make prayer a part of that, I can make reading a part of that, I can memorize scriptures a part of that, everything we've been talking about through going through the Psalms together. But praise can become a part of that. And you can make that more of a natural rhythm of your life, a longing to bring him into it. Jesus often withdrew to be alone. Mark one thirty-five. it was part of the rhythm of his life and as the son of God, if he needed that, guess what? If you have a left hand or a right hand, you need that. You need that rhythm that he modeled, pausing to praise, to maybe focus on his goodness, his greatness, his grace for us and so here's how I wanna end our time kinda lingering as we move into a time of communion and worship is I want to create space for you to do that, to at least attempt it. For some of you, this is a stretch because you're going to feel distracted. That's fine. You're surrounded by people. It's easy to be distracted. But just this practice, this engagement might help you as you begin to figure out how do I pause to praise? How do I make this more natural and normal for me? See, the beauty of this as you begin to look through Psalm 145 is you can't help but see Jesus in this. If you wanna know what God's like, look at Jesus. He's great. He is grace-filled and he is good. And so you just begin to look back at him And you begin to express to him, Jesus, you are so great. I can't believe you picked me to be on your team. Like, I wouldn't have picked me to be on my team. But you picked me. Like, of all the people, you picked me. And you're changing me. I'm different than I was five years ago, a year ago. Because of you, you're changing me. Your grace is unbelievable. I I can't even get my mind around it. You are so good to me. And you begin to tell him. That's what it means to praise. You just tell him. So I want to read Psalm 145 from the message translation. The paraphrase. And just if it helps you to close your eyes and listen, here's what I want you to listen for. I want you to listen for one phrase. That's your phrase. It's yours. You're claiming it tonight. You're the one reaching out and saying, that's me, I need that, that's for me. And you're gonna grab it and you're gonna say, God, I wanna spend a few seconds just praising you for that. And then sometime in the next two songs, you're invited to come take communion, to remember Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his grace and his greatness and his goodness for you, friend. We have communion in the back, up front. We've got gluten free down here if you need that. But just create the next 10 minutes or so to give you a moment to pause to praise. Here's what David writes. I lift you high in praise, my God, my King, and I will bless your name into eternity. I will bless you every day and keep it up from now into eternity. God is magnificent. He can never be praised enough. There is no boundaries to his greatness. Generation after generation stands in awe of your work. Each one tells the stories of your mighty acts. Your beauty and your splendor have everyone talking. I compose songs about your wonders. You're marvelous. Your marvelous doings are headline news. I could write a book full of the details of your greatness. The fame of your goodness spreads across the country. Your righteousness is on everyone's lips. God is all mercy and grace, not quick to anger. He's rich in love. God is good to one and all. Everything he does is suffused with grace. Grace. Creation and creatures applaud you, God. Your holy people bless you. They talk about the glorious and the glories of your rule. They exclaim over your splendor, letting the world know of your power for good, the lavish splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is a kingdom eternal, you never get voted out of office. God always does what he says and is gracious in everything he does. God gives a hand to those who are down on their luck. He gives a fresh start to those who are ready to quit. All eyes are on you expectant to give them their meals on time. Generous to a fault, you lavish your favor on all creatures. Everything God does is right The trademark on all his works is love. God's there listening to all who pray. For all who pray and mean it, he does what's best for those who fear him. Hears them call out and he saves them. God sticks by all who love him, but it's all over for those who don't. My mouth is filled with God's praise. Let every living thing bless him. Bless his holy name from now on into eternity. So Father, we pause to praise. May this move and bless your heart. May it stir you as you've stirred us.